Our world today is in the grip of a refugee crisis. In 2022, 110 million people worldwide were forcibly displaced from their homes due to persecution, conflict, or human rights violations. That is a group of people bigger than the population of Germany on the move, the most ever recorded in history. And not a corner of the globe remains untouched. Even here on Isla, we have people who have fled Ukraine and Sudan. Last Christmas, some of them sat in this very church. And these people are desperate. In 2022, 2,439 people died crossing vast oceans in small boats. You do not get into an overcrowded dinghy and set out across the sea unless you have no other choice. These people die terrified and alone. And the repercussions of this crisis will be felt for generations. 48% of refugee children are not in school and only 6% will go on to have any higher education. The future generations are being condemned to poverty and lack of opportunity as well. I could go on. The statistics are all there on the UN website. Some of them just too bleak to take in. But let us remember that behind every number is a real life person in need. And on that video from BMS, we saw the good news that there are people out there trying to help them. God has moved his church to the front line of this crisis, and we would do well to help in any way that we can. In light of what is going on in our world at the moment, it is surely important for us to spend some time this Christmas reflecting on the bit of the story that always gets left out from the school nativity play. The bit where Jesus, the Son of God himself, becomes a refugee. We know the story well, even though we never like to dwell on it. King Herod wanted to kill Jesus because he saw him as a personal threat to his power and status. And when the Magi didn't return to his palace to tell him where to find the child, Herod flew into a rage and ordered that all the newborn boys in the area be killed in a ghastly attempt to ensure the eradication of the one he wanted. You see, even the Christmas story contains power and violence, tyrants and murder. It is a story fully recognisable to 110 million people in our world today. But I would also like to reason that it is a story very relevant to each one of us as well. We may not be refugees, but we do know what it is to suffer. And this part of the Christmas story shows us what it really means for Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us. He's not just with us in the good times, he is with us in everything. He knows what we go through, he shares our pain because he's been through it himself. The true message of Christmas, the incredibly good news of this season, is that God is not immune from our suffering, 
Indeed, he came personally to suffer himself so that he could put an end to it one day, once and for all. And in this part of the story, in Matthew chapter 2, the gospel writer quotes two prophecies that he sees being fulfilled in the life and experiences of Jesus. The first was spoken by Hosea, 740 years before the birth of Christ. The second was spoken by Jeremiah, 550 years before the Bethlehem manger. Now let's just take that in for a moment. God had known for centuries the suffering that he would experience in coming into our world. In fact, he had always known it. From the beginning of time itself, yet he chose to go through with it anyway. He chose to make us, he chose to rescue us, regardless of the cost to himself. What grace that is. What mercy we find here. What incredible, inexhaustible love the Father has for us. Love, I hope, will encourage us as we explore it this morning, no matter what hardships we are personally going through. I want to make just a few brief points from this passage on why we can maintain hope and trust in God, even in the midst of pain and crisis. And through them all, we will see why it is so important to our faith that Jesus himself was a refugee. The first point is a confirmation of what I just said. We can always trust God because God is deeply loving. In the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph end up fleeing with their baby to Egypt in order to escape Herod. And as a result, Matthew says in verse 15 that the words of Hosea were fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Hosea's prophecy, for it comes in one of the most beautiful chapters in the whole Bible. As many of us will know from our time in Sunday school, at one time, God's people were enslaved in Egypt. In fact, they were there for over 400 years. And while they were there, they were grew into a nation of more than a million people, a nation that God called his child or his son. But due to their growth, the Egyptian pharaoh began treating them more and more harshly until their daily life became an utter torment. And they cried out to God for help. And wonderfully, God heard and his heart broke for them. And he sent Moses to go and lead them out of trouble. Through the exodus, God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, brought them through the wilderness and let them securely live in the promised land. Now, why did God do this? Well, Hosea tells us in the first verse of his prophecy found in chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. When Israel was a child, I loved him. The Exodus story is a story of love, great love. The love of God for his suffering people. But that is just the first verse of the chapter. It sets the scene. 
The rest of Hosea's prophecy relies on that love. Hosea was speaking 700 years after the Exodus. And he was speaking at a time when Israel had turned their backs on God. They had chosen to ignore all that God had done for them in the past and turned to worship idols instead. And as a result of that action, their moral standards had dropped through the floor. On deserting God, they started treating the poor with contempt. They exploited the vulnerable. They allowed injustice to run rife everywhere in the land. And as a result of their appalling behavior, God was left with no choice. He had to discipline them. And as we have discovered in recent weeks through the writing of Isaiah and Micah, God allowed his people to be attacked by the Assyrians. God didn't do this cheerily. Like any good parent, he enacted his discipline with a very heavy heart, hoping beyond hope that his beloved child would learn from it. Now, here comes the good news. The prophecy in Hosea 11 goes on to tell the people that God loved them so much, he would refuse to let them go entirely. And instead, he would work hard to restore them once the necessary period of discipline was over. Just listen again to the father's heart of love for his people bleeding out through this passage. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. It was I who healed them. I led them by cords of human kindness with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. Instead, I will settle you back in your homes. A few years ago, I had first-hand experience of watching a mother with a grown-up son who was a drug addict. That son stole from her. He repeatedly lied to her. He treated her very badly. But despite it all, her words were just like this. I gave birth to him. I nursed him. I taught him how to walk. How can I possibly give up on him now? No, I will never give up. And do you know what she never did? She stuck by his side right up until the day when his drug addiction sadly killed him. And to tell you the truth, it is probably the most poignant illustration of God's love that I have ever seen. Watching that mother was better than a thousand of my sermons. This really is how God acts towards us and when you know that God loves us that much even when because of our behavior we do not deserve it you begin to realize that there is always hope for the future no matter how dire the present in the exodus God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt in Hosea's day God rescued his people from exile in Assyria at the first Christmas, God rescued his own son from the clutches of Herod by taking him to Egypt and back. 
And all three of these occasions, he did it because he loved his people. He deeply loved them. So let us remember the real message of Christmas. Jesus came into this world knowing in advance that he would suffer as a refugee because he loved us. He then went to the cross to suffer again, to save us from our sin. And one day he will return to end suffering for good. All of this is an act of love. Incredible, undeserved, unending love. And when you know that love, you can continue to trust and hope even when life is tough. So the first point is that God is deeply loving. The second reason that we can trust God is because he's supremely wise. Herod's massacre of the children that Matthew records was brutal and horrific. Historians suggest that about 20 children would have been murdered in the small Bethlehem area. It would have unleashed a tidal wave of suffering across the region. Fathers heartbroken and bereft, mothers wailing through the night. There is a reason that this never makes it into school nativity plays. It is almost too terrible to think about. But even this, Matthew said, was a fulfillment of prophecy. And in verse 18, he directly quotes from Isaiah 31. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, just for a moment, I'd briefly like to explore this prophecy as well. Jeremiah was working about 190 years after Hosea, but he found himself in a similar situation. This time, God's people were not being attacked by Assyria, but by Babylon. And again, it was an act of discipline from God for their idolatry and terrible behavior. In many ways, though, the attack by Babylon was worse. The land was devastated, many people were killed, and many more were dragged back to Babylon as slaves. And that place named in the prophecy Ramah was a place that the Jewish exiles passed through on their way to captivity. So on one level, then, this verse in Jeremiah is simply describing the terrible things that were happening to God's people at the time. Weeping and mourning was their lived experience, just as it is for many refugees today. But that verse in Jeremiah is not just plain history. It also comes in the context of an incredible prophecy. You see, God sent Jeremiah with a message to encourage the people. And Jeremiah 31, where this verse comes from, is the beating heart of that message. Just before that verse about weeping in Ramah, Jeremiah said, I will turn their mourning to gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Just after it comes the line, restrain your voice from weeping. There is hope for your descendants. Your children will return. And the rest of the prophecy speaks of how in their suffering, God's people repented from their sin and turned back to him. And as a result, God had great compassion on them. He promised to return them back to their land by the very road they'd been taken out of it. He promised to bless them and build them back up. 
but it goes on getting better. In verse 31 of Jeremiah 31, just a few short verses after those women weeping, God promises to make a new covenant with his people. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now that promise is very important to Christians because we believe it was fulfilled through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. At the Last Supper, when Jesus took the wine and said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed by my blood, this is the prophecy that he is referring to. All those centuries before, God had planned to fully restore his people after the period of discipline for their sins. Now, this incredible prophecy of Jeremiah 31 comes to an end with God rooting all of his actions in wisdom. Listen to verses 35 to 36. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that his waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. Now the point God is making here is this. Just as he set up creation with the sun and the moon and the stars and the land and the sea, everything in perfect order and perfect sync, so God has always acted wisely with his people. God knew how to discipline them when time was right. He knew just how much trial they could bear. He knew how to get the maximum number of people to turn back to him. He knew how to bring the very best outcome out of a situation that was truly terrible. Now, clearly, we cannot explain why all the suffering happens in the world today. It would be the height of arrogance for me to try. But what we do know is that none of it is God's fault. All suffering originates in human sin. Why does Israel-Gaza happen? Why does Ukraine happen? Why does child abuse and human trafficking happen? Why are there 110 million refugees? It's because human beings have sinned. But why does God go on letting the world play out like this? Well, that's the bit that we can never answer fully. But we can trust that in his wisdom, he is making the way for the greatest number of people to turn to him as possible. He is bringing about the best outcome, even though when we're in the mess, we can't really see that. The great C.S. Lewis once said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So we're not to spend the whole of our lives trying to explain the problem of suffering. We're to see it as the ultimate sign that we need help. God will only let this go on until the last person who is going to believe has put their trust in the Lord. 
And again, it takes us back to why Jesus came at Christmas. He came to suffer. He came to be a refugee. He came to die in our place on the cross. And when the onlooking world looked at the cross, they thought this was foolish for God to act in this way. Hence why many of the Jews refused to believe. But what was foolish for many was the wisdom of God. The Apostle Paul put it this way, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who God has called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The point I'm laboring to make is this. When Matthew points out that the massacre of the children fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, all of his original hearers would have known what Jeremiah 31 is about. It contains the promise of forgiveness and redemption, a new covenant between God and humanity, and it assured the people that God was acting wisely bringing about the best outcome he could from a truly terrible situation. That was true even when Herod was up to his dirty deeds. And it is true for our world today. We can trust in the supreme wisdom of God, knowing that he knows what he's doing. And when we tie that to his deep love for us, we find the reason to maintain hope even in times of trial. That leads us to our final point, which I will make very briefly. Alongside his deep love and his supreme wisdom, God is also sovereignly powerful. This doesn't come from the prophecies, but from the story itself. Three times in our passage, God miraculously appeared to Joseph in a dream. Verse 13, he appeared and guided the family out of Israel into Egypt. Verse 19, he appears again and brings them back from Egypt to Israel. In verse 22, he appears another time to tell them to take the baby and go and live in Galilee, a place called Nazareth, a location Matthew says was another fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And the point is this. Three times God appears. Three times God gives escape directions just in the nick of time. Three times God intervenes to make sure things don't go wrong. God can only do that because he is sovereign over the situation. He constantly maintains the power to step into our world and make things happen when he needs to. Evil tried to do everything it could to kill that baby, but God refused to let it happen. There is nothing that can stop our God. Nothing that can stop his plans coming to be. And it goes without saying that that is incredibly good news. Indeed, it's the reason we pray, isn't it? Because we believe that God can step in and do something about what we're concerned about. It gives us hope when we are suffering. It's time to finish. I don't know what's going on in your life today. You may be going through a really difficult time. Remember that God is with you. 
and he truly understands. Jesus was a refugee himself. He grew up to know grief and fear and pain. He understands what you're going through. Remember that you can have hope even in a difficulty because God deeply loves you. He is supremely wise and sovereignly powerful. We don't face the threat of a modern King Herod trying to kill us like many refugees do. We face the threat of temptation. The temptation to give up on God when life gets hard. Let's use this story to give us the confidence to put all of our trust in Jesus, who one day will return and make sure that suffering is no more. And as we wait for that day, let us help as many refugees and as many others who are in need as we possibly can.